Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners and watchers. Welcome to Passion Harvest. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am Louisa, your host, and our guest today is Sonia St. Clair, an innocent victim of horrendous injustices to a miracle survivor. At three months old, Sonia St. Clair and her twin sister, Sarah, were given up by their mother and sent to live in the first of five different orphanages where they suffered unimaginable sexual, emotional and physical abuse for the first 14 years of their lives. This included sexual violence, sexual slavery and physical violence, including a near-death experience, as well as such neglect and emotional abuse that the girls were left deeply traumatised and wounded well into their adult lives. God was able to show Sonia the way to move forward with faith and confidence. Moreover, to be a voice, witness and support for others, sharing her love, insightfulness and truth. Sonia is the author of The Girl in the Locker and The Power of God and His Divine Message. This is her story and this is her passion. Sonia St. Clair, welcome to Passion Harvest. I'm so honoured and excited to have you on the show today. Thank you very much. So um, glad to be here. Yes, finally. Um, we have a lot to talk about uh, in the introduction I mentioned, and, and, and of course, a near-death experience, but in the introduction I mentioned that you, since three months old, you lived in or- orphanages, five different ones. Um, do you mind just telling a background of your story, the events leading up to the near-death experience, and what was that like for you? And Gosh, whatever you feel comfortable with talking about. Okay, well, my twin sister and I both were put into orphanages when we were three months old, which we were in for 14 years in five different ones. And by the age of seven, we had gone into our third orphanage. And it was into this orphanage that um, we were taken upstairs by the nun, hanging on to our hands and going across the landing into our dormitory, I had noticed a huge statue of our Lord up on a pedestal and I was absolutely riveted. And um, I just couldn't take my eyes off him. I, I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. And all of a sudden I knew who he was and that he was this almighty person. It was just pure instinct. And um, that's when he started speaking telepathically to me. And um, I knew in that moment that my life would be a pretty unbearable one for a very long time, including into my adult life. And um, he let me know that life wouldn't be nice for me and it wouldn't be good for me at all. And I sort of knew that and accepted that. And um, all I knew was that I loved this being, this God, this statue I was looking at. And the way he looked at me, I just felt I was the only person in the world and that I was loved so much. 
although I couldn't feel love really and I had never been loved or touched in a loving way, I knew that he loved me and I was in love with that. And that's where it all started. And um, meanwhile, I was very unhappy in the orphanages and I used to often cry and pray at night to God to take me up to heaven because I just couldn't cope with the uh, abuses anymore in these orphanages and the way we were treated. Anyway, um, by the time I was 14, I had suffered um, uh, my appendix burst and uh, I was very sick for three, three days. I suffered acute appendicitis and the nuns wouldn't let me go to the hospital. They said I was faking it. And um, I was very ill, very febrile. And um, finally, my twin sister, who went up against the nuns, who wouldn't drive me to the hospital, and she said, I'll take it myself. So we started walking to Liverpool Hospital in New South Wales. And uh, I was extremely bent over and in a lot of pain, um, you know, sweating like anything. And um, all of a sudden, everything went white. And I couldn't see earth. I couldn't see anything around me. All I could see was white. And it was as though I had left my body because I was literally dying at that stage once my appendix burst. Uh, I had apparently 20 to 30 minutes left to live. And um, I left my body and I went up to heaven. And I didn't see other people there or anything like that because obviously I wasn't dead. And um, like a lot of people that literally die for minutes and for a very long time. So mine wasn't that kind of experience. But I felt the love of God. Everything was white like it was angels uh, coming for me and taking me. It was my time to go and they were taking me up to heaven. And everything was so beautiful. And the love that I felt on the other side is just beyond mankind's realm of, realm of thinking. It is absolutely indescribable. And all I knew was I did not want to go. I did not want to come back. I wanted to stay up there with God's love. And the love, it's, it's just the way he loves us, when I was with him, I loved the same, well, maybe not the same as him, but on some level, I loved everyone else with the same capacity, I think. It felt like the same capacity that he did and that he does. Because when I was up there with God, I could have forgiven everybody for everything. I loved everybody so much. Even the worst person in the world, I'm talking people like pedophiles, abusers, uh, people like Hitler and those kind of people. The way God loves all of us is absolutely incredible because we think we're doing something wrong on earth, but in his eyes, he still loves us anyway. It's such a capacity that all is forgiven. Everything is okay. Everything is fine. So 
for me, having a near-death experience, I, um, you get a bigger picture of life. Certainly not the picture God has, but it does give you a bigger picture and it changes you. And to this day, I still remember the love that I felt. And sometimes no matter how uh, upset I might feel or have different triggers from my childhood and I feel upset and what have you, I still know that God loves me so much, even if no one else does or, is, or if no one else is loving me on that day or I feel terribly unloved and triggered from my childhood, which can happen, I still know and feel and remember the love that God has for me. And I cannot wait, although not just yet, please, I cannot wait to go home and feel that again. And um, before I knew it, I was at the hospital and um, it was a Friday afternoon, four o'clock, very, very busy at Liverpool Hospital. And I'd hardly sat on the chair when my name was called and I collapsed in the doctor's arms and was rushed into emergency surgery. So they told my twin sister that um, I would have been dead within the, within the half hour. So that was my experience. It was literally a near-death experience where other experiences that people have they have literally died, you know, literally have died and um, their soul has left their body. So it was a bit different for me, but all I know is that the love and the peace, that was another thing. Love and peace sometimes feels like it's the same thing, but it's not. They're two different entities. The love I felt on the other side was so different to the peace that I had felt and it's a peace you will never know on this earth you can have the most peaceful day the most beautiful day and be loved so much by your partner your family whatever it is nothing compared to when you're you're in God's world and in his arms it was just absolutely a beautiful experience and I'm actually very uh, humble and so grateful that I have did have that experience because I, I um, call on that many, many times. Mm -hmm. And, um, yes, so that was my experience with that. Well, gosh, I'd like to talk about, I mean, your life up to now as well, but thank you so much for sharing that. Um, you spoke about how you saw that statue and you understood that your life would be very hard. Mm -hmm. um, I understand it's too hard for you to for you to talk about your severe physical and emotional abuse you suffered in orphanages. But for the audience, do you mind just describing? I can't even imagine what it's like, number one, to be given up, but not to have anyone to love you or to call for help. Or um, I, do you mind just sharing how that experience, well, not, the, not, not the details if you don't feel no, comfortable. but not, not graphic details. Um, yes, uh, orphanages back in the 50s and 60s were pretty hard, pretty cruel, uh, very, very hard, very cruel. Uh, the nuns, the Catholic nuns were heartless, they were cold, they were cruel, they were vicious, they were physically abusive. Uh, some 
girls did experience sexual abuse from the nuns. I never did with the nuns, but I suffered horrendous um, physical abuse. I was beaten unconscious when I was eight years old because I hadn't made my bed properly. I hadn't done the hospital corners that they like to be done every day in your bed. And um, they were very violent. Uh, it was like they had, they had no, it was like they were put in there to be nuns because it was prestigious to have your daughter a nun or, or your son a priest back in those days. And some of them were put in there against their will. And I don't know what was wrong with them, but they took it out on us. And um, life in the orphanages for 14 years was very long and very lonely. Uh, one day would lead into the next. Every 24 hours was the same. Uh, you were dragged out of bed at 5, 6 a.m. every morning, freezing cold. Didn't matter whether it was summer or winter. The lights would go on. You'd be forced to get up and into mass and on your knees. And um, before you were hardly awake and you're on your knees praying all these prayers for us to be good children. And uh, I wondered what the hell I was doing there. And um, this went on every day. It was just, it was just unrelenting uh, violence. Um, they used to beat us with their fists, with the strap. The backs of my legs were purple permanently at one stage and the edges across the, the welts would bleed uh, from their very wide leather belts and um, they used to punch us in the back with their fists across the face. Uh, many girls were beaten unconscious. Um, some children in other orphanages that I know of were beaten to death and... Um, when uh, people would come and ask, where is this particular child? They would say they've run away. Because of the way I was raised, I could not recognise a kind, caring, decent human being, a male, a husband. So I chose the wrong kind of men that were also very brutal, very violent. Uh, one man I lived with for three years from 17 to 20, his rapes were so violent and so brutal, I'd lost two babies and almost a third and I uh, had my nose broken and, you know, beaten very, very severely. And when I called the police, actually I didn't call the police, the neighbour did. When the police came, they told us to kiss and make up. So that's the way it was back in the 60s. Um, the police were called several times to my place with one particular man. And each time they said that I was his property and I was to do as I was told and we were to kiss and make up. So you had no rights whatsoever, even though they might say, yes, you did. We didn't. We had no rights whatsoever, women back then. And uh, so you stayed because I wasn't allowed to work because he was too jealous. And so I had no money. And so you stay. And this is why a lot of battered women stay because they've got nowhere to go. They've got no money. And you ground down so low that you just think you're not worth any more but that. And, and um, that's what ensued for me because of my childhood. Yes. So, yeah. Um. 
of course, with your upbringing as well. You spoke about when you saw, saw that statue of that was overpowering. Was it God when you were uh, when you were younger and you were just overwhelmed by the love, and that somehow up until your near death experience helped you survive, helped you get through these experiences. Also, yes. do you, sorry, please go on. No, I was just going to say, um, I think I already mentioned I used to pray every night to die, just so not to be there, but obviously I wasn't meant to go. You know, I knew from what God had told me that, you know, this is what my life would be like, but it didn't mean that I could cope with it. I understood it, but I still didn't, couldn't cope, a seven-year-old trying to cope. I have to ask the question, why? Why? Why did your life need and need to be so harsh, so brutal, so violent? I ask that question many times. I say to God, if there's no purpose to what happened to me and my twin sister, then I don't want to be here. And when I was 24, I said to God, please put me to work and let me serve you on a grand scale. Let me have some kind of purpose so I can help others. So if I had to go through that to gain such compassion and have such an altruistic nature to help others, then I can accept that. But to me, any kind of success without purpose can be, you know, a pretty meaningless life and I'm still waiting to help as many people as I can and I'm hoping it's my spiritual book that can do that but with the book The Girl in the Locker many people have contacted me and said they can't believe that I could forgive what happened to me and some of them said they would never be able to do that and some others said that because you could forgive that I could then forgive my mother or my sister or my husband for the little things that they had done to me. And so I have helped many people to, to forgive and move on and um, maybe more than I even realised, but I still feel I have a lot more to do because um, I, don't, I don't see any results of the purpose, if this is what I'm supposed to do, help others because of the compassion that I have, I want to put it to good use. Uh, if there's, I've said to God many times, uh, especially when I was around 40, I was very suicidal. I was having a lot of triggers, a lot of flashbacks. I couldn't cope with the flashbacks and I did make an attempt on my life and um, well, three times altogether. Because I just, the flashbacks and the memories were just too horrible. Of the orphanage. Yes, of the orphanages and just too horrendous to cope with. But um, so I really was upset one night and I just said to God again, if there's no purpose or rhyme or reason for what happened to me as a kid, then I just don't want to be here. I mean, what's, what was the point? of children suffering like that. I, I, I can't cope knowing so many children still today 
in this day and age are suffering. Animals too, Mother Earth, everyone. I just am so sensitive to people suffering that sometimes I just can't cope. And um, some people say that's empathic. Um, maybe I am an empath, as they call that. But um, I, I just wish I could do a lot more to help the world. That's how I feel. Because I know God's love. I know mu how much he loves us. And yet so many people are walking away from him. There's not enough prayer. There's not enough people talking to God. There's not enough people being kind to one another. There's not enough people understanding one another and having empathy and compassion. And um, perhaps looking beyond the physical and seeing their soul. Because people are struggling today so much, and especially in, in today's world. And I don't think there's much heart going around, to be honest. And, and that's how I feel. And I wished, I wished I could give the whole world a hug, is what I wished I could do on some kind of level. And um, yeah, it affects me a lot that um, people are so unhappy. And so sad, and it all comes down to not being loved or feeling loved. Because that, that is the answer to life. And that's and that what is, got you through your experience. Yes, that's the secret to life. Love, love will heal everything. And the most powerful weapon on earth is prayer. Absolutely, the most powerful weapon on earth is prayer. And it can actually change the world if more people would pray, turn to God. I mean, you don't have to go to Mass and be on your knees every day and all the rest of it. Just talk to God. Just talk to him in your own bathroom, in your car, anywhere. Just talk to God and ask him to help you. And life will be so much better. And that's, that's how um, I get through it. By talking to God, I talk to God about everything in my car, on the lounge, in the bathroom, in the shower. I talk to him all the time and he gets me through every day. And um, I just wish more people would feel more happy and know how much that God loves them. If they knew how much he loved them, uh, I don't think they'd be suffering so much at all once they have God in, God in their life. Life would be so very different. And not only do you talk to God, but you also receive, we've spoken about this before the interview, you receive answers from God, very clear answers. Yes, I do. Um, I've been receiving messages. Uh, Sorry, messages or answers. Yes, messages since I was seven. Um, several messages have saved my life and the lives of others. Um, I'm told mainly about people's health. What's wrong with them? Uh, I know when they're going to die. I know when I'm going to die. But God talks to all of us. You know that little voice in your head, that gut feeling? That's God who lives inside of us. He's in our DNA and we are all born in the image of him. And he talks to all of us. People aren't listening. And you know how many women walk down a street in the dark and they think to themselves, oh, God, I'm so scared. I really shouldn't walk down here, but they keep going. 
and in a worst case scenario happens. We are all warned, we're all told, and God speaks to each and every one of us. I'm, I'm not special. I'm not special. I'm not more special than anybody else. And um, we just have to listen. And when God says something to you or you get that feeling, you just do and you just trust. And it'll always work out for the positive. And that's what keeps me going every day. You talk about the importance of gratitude. I know this, but do you mind explaining for people that have had experiences? What, why is gratitude so important? Gratitude and forgiveness. Gratitude and forgiveness. Gratitude is being grateful for what God has given us. And without gratitude, we're, we're not appreciating the little things and the big things that we have. And everything we are given comes from God, comes from Mother Earth, comes from wherever, and it all stems from God, everything. And we need to be grateful for what he gives us. And whether it's the smallest thing or the biggest thing, and the more grateful you are, the more you will receive. That's just the way it works. It's energy. And when I was on my own, with the two children uh, while they were in primary school. I was renting a house, which I lived in for 20 years, and I liked this house very much. I was very happy there, but I always wanted my own home. And um, being raised in orphanages, of course, I wanted my very own home with the picket fence and the dog and all that kind of thing. And so I used to write down every day, every morning I got up every day, I would sit and write at my table. Thank you, God, for my beautiful home that I own and no one will ever take it from me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I also did that with my car. I had a, my car was pretty old and uh, getting to a point where you really couldn't do much with it. And I said to God the same thing. Thank you, thank you. I am so grateful for my brand new Volvo. My silver Volvo, I wanted a silver one. And um, thank you so much. And if you give gratitude in advance, like you, like you already have it, the universe God says, oh, she's got this car and this house, we better give her that. Because again, it's all energy. And um, within two years, I had enough money deposited into my bank account to buy my silver Volvo and other things that I wanted at the time that I also wrote down, which was white goods and um, a trip to Sydney to see Louise Hay. I can do a tour and all those beautiful spiritual speakers. And the house took about 10 years because I wasn't in a hurry for the house. And um, enough money went into my bank account to buy a block of land and build a brand new three bedroom, two bathroom house. You know, you can ask God for anything, ask him for healing, money, a house, a car. We're not meant to live in poverty and ill health. That's, what not, that's not what life's about. We're supposed to be happy and the universe is absolutely abundant. You know, we, we can all have anything we want, but we need to be grateful we need to give 
gratitude and as for forgiveness you know when i start you know when i started manifesting very big ticket items after i had forgiven everyone right i think that's the secret because a lot of people manifest and they want the money 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 but really there's not much else going on but when i forgave all my perpetrators and my mother included with what happened to me growing up I went through a forgiveness ritual that I did at home. I wrote down everyone's name and in a summary, two lines perhaps of what they had done. And I would take it out to the backyard and I would stand over a fire. I had a a metal bin with a a little fire in it. And um, I would say, I forgive you for everything you've ever done. And I release you with love and give you up to God. And then I would throw it in the bin and burn it. And that's what I did with everyone. And a couple of weeks later or a month later or three months later, I would get triggered again for what these people had done to me. And I would become very upset and depressed and um, anxious about, you know, having to relive this stuff yet again. And um, so I went through the same ritual over and over. It took about a year, 18 months, to finally do that with everyone. And when the last time I did that, I actually felt at peace, like, okay, I'm done now. I'm absolutely done. And forgiveness is always about forgetting forgiving without these people that say I can forgive and don't forget that is not true forgiveness that is not true forgiveness to forgive you must really really forget and okay okay I know it's still in your DNA and that memory's there and it's always going to be there but you've truly just got to forgive and forget and release those people with love and let them go because why do you want to carry that around? You just, you just can't carry that around all the time. Why would you want to? And so to really forgive people, you've, you've just got to send them love, forgive them, forgive them and release them because you can't, you know, you, you, you can't be, and also when you forgive these people, you can't be speaking about what they did to you because you're reliving it and you haven't forgiven at all because you're talking about it over and over, making yourself sick, giving yourself autoimmune diseases, cancer, mental illnesses. Let them go. You can't speak ill of the forgiven. And that's what I believe and that's what I think. And I think that way because of my near-death experience because the way God loves us, I know I can't love way he does on this earth but I try I try so hard to be kind to people and give people a smile anything even a smile to someone of a day in a shopping center could mean more than they've ever had in a very long time and so you just have to let it go and that's Forgiveness is so important because why do you want to carry all that stuff around that's happened to you? And God knows, I know what's happened to you. Most of that stuff's happened to me, uh, if not all of it, abandonment, 
you know, rape, uh, sex slave for 17 days in one foster care. In the orphanages, in the school holidays, you went out to foster care in the school holidays, right? From Christmas the or? Yeah, Christmas, uh, Easter, uh, all the holidays you went out to foster care. And um, that's where a lot of the sexual abuse took place. Uh, there was one home I was his sex slave for 17 days. Oh, gosh. His wife was in on it. And um, when I came back, I said to the nun, I tried telling her what happened. I said he, um, i trying to think what I said. I was only young. I said, I said that he had hurt me and sexually abused me, though I didn't describe anything because... Her eyes glazed over and she didn't want to hear it. And I immediately felt, oh, my God, it was like being raped all over again. And um, So you knew it was wrong. You knew it was wrong. Yeah. And there was basically no one. No one. No one helped me. No one protected me. There was no medical attention, which I needed badly. Um. That's still, that's still a bit of an issue with me. There was no, I wasn't worthy enough to not only ring the police, but get me medical attention, which I needed so badly. And, um, yeah. And then they, the nun, this particular nun, had contacted the New South Wales social welfare, social services, and to let them know not to let any other child go to this place again because obviously he was doing the wrong thing with no details. Now, I have proof of that because I got information through Freedom of Information about 25 years ago and I have the letter stating with my ward number and my name because I was a, I was a state ward. Mother, mother had given her parental rights up to my twin sister and I, and she made us state wards. So the government owned us. New South Wales government owned us. And so the nuns denied me medical attention and calling the police, and so did the New South Wales government, because they didn't call the police and they didn't check that we had, that I had medical attention for what happened to me for those 17 days and I couldn't get away from him or her in their bed. Gosh. And um, to feel so unworthy, like you've already been in the orphanage, right for, right, for all these years and every day just runs into the other. It's just the same every day. It's Abuses. a very long day. Like very it just must long, go on and on and on. on and the loneliness, the longing for anything, anybody, anything, the longing for anything. There was no freedom. There was nothing. And um, so they let me down so badly, like I wasn't even worth taking to the doctor. But it was the same with my appendix. Had my sister not taken me when she did, I would have died in the orphanage. And I probably would have been just buried under the ground somewhere, although they wouldn't have been able to do that at 14. My twin sister was there, too many witnesses. Um, yes, yeah, so 
So I have evidence of that, you know, still to, to, till today. And, um, and you're able to push, I mean, we, we were talking about gratitude and forgiveness. You're able to let go of those memories? What I've done is you never let go of them because all your memory is literally in your DNA. And these memories in your DNA are passed down to your children and grandchildren for seven generations. That gene goes down, that memory goes down. And um, so you can't pick it up and just put it somewhere. Okay, I'll, let's just dump this in the bin and it's done, walk away. It's always going to be with you. So I've made it so that everything's like in a, a file in a cabinet so that it's at the back of the file, not at the front, so that every time you open your mouth, you just fall apart. Mm. So, you know, I put it to the back of the file. It'll always be there. And I just have to try and be so forgiving of these people. And, um, yeah, I don't know why. I am the way I am. My sister didn't survive. She died. I'm sorry about your sister. I was going to ask about your twin sister, but she... It was yes. too much for her, the abuse that she suffered. She took her own yes. life. She, she died in 2012. And um, I miss her to this day. And um, I have memories of being in the morgue with her, laying across her body with my arm in the hollow of her belly, wanting her to live wanting her to breathe because she, being there with me, knew what I had been through. No one ever would know or understand what I had been through except for obviously other people that were raised in these orphanages. But she got me, she knew me, she understood. And when we were 10 on one school holiday we were taken into the barn and assaulted one at a time and whilst I was being assaulted she was sitting in the hay with a little pink ribbon in her hair and pulling her dress down over her knees as though she knew she was next Gosh. and with instinct she knew to cover her knees. Now at 10, who knows that? Who does that? And so this went on for three years as well. And when I was in the morgue with my sister, all those memories came back of what she had been through and what we had been through together. And to lose her, you know, being a twin, you have that bond you don't have with any other sibling. But to go through what we went through together like that for three years together in the barn, watching and waiting for the other one. Um, Sonia, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know what just, to say. Well, no one knows what to say. It just, you know, it just brings those memories up. And when she died, I just thought, well, Jesus, you know, you're at peace now, my darling. You are so at peace. And um, I said to her, you know, God will take care of you now. But I wanted her back. I wanted her to breathe again. I just, 
I didn't want her to leave. So, you know, that's life. And how do I forgive? How do I forgive all this? I don't know. I don't know, but I just, I don't want to carry that around. And I just want to somehow, some way, help other people that have been through that and that there is more for you. There is a life for you. There is a happiness for you. Just, you know, grab it and take it and know that life is for you too. And you are so deserving. You know, if you're watching today and you've been through these things, you are so deserving of love and you are so special. And treat yourself that way first so others can treat you that way too. Don't think you're not worthy because you are. And there's nothing wrong with you, it's them. Nothing wrong with you at all. And uh, make yourself special. And, and make the decision to be happy. That's what I did when I was 40. It took me 40 to get my act together. And at 40, I made the decision to be happy. And I faked it every damn day. And in the end, I became happy. Everyone that knows me says, Sonia, you're so positive. You're always happy. And then when they read my life story, they it just doesn't gel. And I want to be happy and I am happy. Okay, I'm upset now because I'm going down memory lane. But I'm as happy as I can be with what I've been through and what I know. And um, so in spite of what happened to me, I have come out a much better person, not because of them, but because of me. But in the back of my mind, I have my NDE. And I know how much God loves me and the rest of the world. And I wish people would love him back. And that's my story here. This is what I want people to know. Love him back. He loves us so much. The and he gave us free will. It's not his fault. People blame God all the time. People say to me, why do you still love God? Why do you talk to him with what he... God didn't do anything. It's the people in his name did these things to children around the world. And if you want to help anyone, pray for them. Pray for them. Because all the violent protesting and, and, and the banners and the abusive language, the foul language... The profanities won't get you anywhere. They will give you more of that because that's what you're putting out. And so when you pray for people and love them, that energy will go around the world, right around the world. And that's what we must do is pray and get back to God and love God the way he loves us and just be kind to people. And that energy will have such a ripple effect, it'll go right around the world and will lessen what is happening today. That Sh is what yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Sonia, such a beautiful message. I'm just getting <laughs> finishing off the last tissue here. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh, how much can how much can one person bear in a lifetime? Phenomenal. Well, 
Yes, it, it hasn't all been easy. I have made three attempts on my life because it was just all too much. And um, I suppose they had to happen because then, yes, I've experienced that as well. I've had my stomach pumped twice. And um, the third time I got a hose connected up to my car and um, I was going to go out that way. And uh, I sedated myself with a drug I got from the chemist over the counter. And um, I was doing it today. And that day, there was no one around to pump my stomach. I wasn't taking pills. I'll go in the car and I'll sedate myself in such a way that I'll just go to sleep and it'll be too late. It won't matter. And as I'm walking to the, as I'm walking to the garage to do this with the hose already in the, in the pipe at the back, uh, the phone rang and it was my, a relative of mine. And I picked up the phone and it was, it was within an instant, do I pick this phone up or not? And I did. And obviously I wasn't meant to go. And this relative said to me, hi, Sonia, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> how are you? <laughs> I don't want to live anymore. And I started crying and I was hysterical. I said, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I just blurted out my childhood because at 40 was when all the memories started coming back and I wasn't doing very well at all. And she kept me on the phone for two hours. Two hours. She would not let me go. And uh, I was so tired in the end that um, she said, you won't do anything, will you? I said, no, I'm too tired now. And I went to bed and um, that's when I had a very strong words with God. And I said, you know, I can't do this. I just can't do this. There has to be a rhyme or reason for what happened. Please give me a purpose. Please let me help people on a grand scale. Otherwise, I just can't do this. And then I fell off to sleep. And that's what happened that time. But um, I would not have, I would not be where I am today mentally and emotionally if it wasn't for having God in my life. That I know. But I'm also very lucky that I did have an in-depth experience and experience the love of God and how powerful and almighty it is. And um, I'm so grateful for that. And I think about that every day now. The older I get, the more, the more I think about the end of you. And... Um, the more I wish I could give the world a hug and just love everybody. Not that I'm perfect. Believe me, I have my days. Don't you worry. And um, I suffer fools lightly as well. So I'm, I'm certainly no saint. I'm far from it. But I just, um, I just can't bear the world to be so unhappy when it's not necessary. Um, you talk you, you talk about God and you don't certainly don't necessarily need to go to a church or get down on your knees in a church and pray. God is whatever. I mean, there's so many names for God. It's what we feel. God, That's the right. creator, the universe is. You just refer to it as God. There's so many names. And God can be anywhere with you, as you said, whether it's in the bathroom or the kitchen or through in your car. You don't have to go to a specific place because God is with all, always with us. 
God is with us all the time, is literally in our DNA, literally in our DNA. And people think, I've had people say to me, you can't get to God unless you go through the Lord uh, um, Jesus Christ. You have to go through Jesus Christ to get to God. No one can get to God unless you go through Jesus Christ. Well, that is not true. Not when you've had a near-death experience. Um, Jesus is God and he's an accessible form of God. You know, God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they are all one. And a lot of people say to me, you know, you, you, know, you can't get to God only through Jesus Christ. Well, that's not true. God is with us all the time. Jesus is God. God is Jesus. And um, just, you know, all we have to do is talk to him and be kind and caring. I know people that go to church every Sunday and they treat their family badly through the week. That's not, that's not being God-like or loving or kind. You know, you just be kind every day. Be kind to your family. Treat them well. If you're kind to your family, they'll be kind back to you. It all starts with you. Send them divine love, peace and healing daily and you watch the situation change. I've seen it work miracles, absolute miracles. I'm hoping people will get on to um, my latest book. It's called The Power of God and His Divine Messages. And that, I think, will help change a lot of people's lives. I call it my spiritual book. And it's about helping people to heal that have been emotionally hurt and physically hurt. And I will also leave a link below in the show notes for anyone to yes. click on the link. Congratulations. Because if people want to read my life story, it's, it's no longer available at the moment. I somehow one day want to get it out as an e-book. They could possibly uh, reach out to me and we'll... We can discuss yes. something. If... Yes, but the second one, The Power of God and His Divine Messages, is an e-book. Can I, I just want to ask you one more question, and it, it, it's very simple, but possibly some of the audience might not know. How do we speak to God? How do we pray? How, or how, what, what's your advice for how to speak to God or the Creator? How do we pray? How do we ask? You just talk to him. You just say, God, if you haven't spoken to God before, just say to him, God, I, I'm, I don't know what to say. There's no, you know, there's no right or wrong. Just God, help me. I need you in my life. I don't know what to do. Just help me to be more loving. Help me to be more kind. Um, or if you have a problem, you know, you have a problem, a situation's come up that's really quite dire, you just say to God, can you please help me with this? I don't know what to do. Please send me, send me a sign. Send me anything. And you'd be surprised what will come. You'll be absolutely surprised what will come. But the secret to anything like this working is you must have absolute unyielding faith and trust. You must, you don't ask God for something and then go, oh, I don't think that'll work. You're, you know, you're defeating the purpose of talking to God. You know, if you want something to happen, it, it's all energy. God is energy. His love is energy. That's why no one really sees God in heaven. They see Jesus. 
It's his love that's so powerful, the energy. You must trust. He knew before you were born you were going to ask him these questions. He already knows. So don't ever feel that you're not worthy to have God in your life and to talk to God because a lot of people believe, uh, are led to believe that you must fear God and we are not worthy to be in his presence. That is not true. You are so worthy. Believe with unyielding faith and trust that when you ask for help, you are going to receive it. It doesn't mean you're going to receive it tomorrow or next week. It might be a couple of years. But you have to trust and have that much faith that whatever you ask for will happen. The moment you doubt, the very minute you doubt, that free will has gone back to you and he's done with what, you're, what you've asked for. Because the minute you doubt that he can't do for you, that's your free will stepping in. And God gave us all free will. So then it's back in your court. Do you really want it in your court or God's court? I know where I want it. Me too. Having said that, we don't always get what we ask for, whether I'm just giving the example of a, a relationship, the other person has free will, but if we continue to believe that God will bring us that relationship, it may be someone far better than we could have ever imagined and not necessarily the person who's the object of our attention at that point in time. That's so true because a lot of women and men, they're praying for this certain person mm. And that certain person may not be the one they're supposed to be with. So what you do is you don't, you don't say to God, you know, I want that man over there. I really like him. You ask God to send you the most perfect man or woman for you, for you. And, and you don't describe, you know, people say, I've got to write down, you've got to have a list. God's got the list. He does a better job of everything than us. He knows what we want. He knows what we need before we do. And you just say to God, send me the most perfect man or woman for me and trust and have faith that that will happen. And um, that's the secret. That's the secret to manifesting and having your prayers answered. To absolutely believe. Faith. Mm -hmm. And you never, ever give up, ever. Because as I said, the minute you doubt, it's back in your court. You figure it out. Well, I'd rather God figure it out. <laughs> he does a better job of everything than what I can do. You know, if you start talking to God, and but when you talk to God, be prepared to listen. Because you know what's really sad? People aren't listening to God. They've got the earphones on. They've got the things in their ears. And they're busy with life and yelling and screaming and whatever, or things aren't working my way. Be quiet. Be quiet and listen so that you can hear his messages. And when you receive them, you don't go, uh-oh, is that for real? Of course it's for real. Act on it. Act on those messages. And when you act on the messages that he sends you, he then sees you doing what you should be doing and then he will send you more messages 
and then more of whatever else you want because you have to act on those messages and that shows faith and trust. And if you don't have faith and trust in God, believe me, you've got nothing. Absolutely nothing. So that is the secret to just, just talk to God about anything. Talk, I talk to him like he's my dad. That's what I do. The other day I was a bit upset over something. I put the vacuum cleaner on. I took the <laughs> I took the Dyson, the stick. I took it in my bathroom and I ran the vacuum cleaner and I said a few words. I wasn't happy. Do you speak out dad. loud? Do you it's speak my, out louder in I your was. mind? Yes, I did. I did raise my voice. Of course, I would never yell at God. I mean, you know, he's, you know, he's so amazing. But I was just, yeah, I did raise my voice. And um, I said, God, you know, what? why? What for? And I know better. I should know better from the age of seven. I should know better. And... Um, you know, why, why I wanted my answer then and there. And usually I get them straight away, but I didn't. And um, so, you know, God is prepared for that too because he knew before I was born and everyone else was born what we're going to do and that we were going to have that screaming match or whatever. He knows. He knows already. He loves us. We're his children. Sometimes. So, so did you receive an answer the next day? <laughs> and it comes to you telepathically. Is that correct? Telepathically. Okay. I hear it. I feel it. I know it. I hear it. I feel it. I know it. Sonia, that's I such a beautiful way to end the show. I, I really want to say to you. Gosh, I've had the tissue box here, but thank you so much for sharing pieces of your life story. Um, I didn't share overshare but sometimes no, you know, it was amazing and just the way that you've chosen to live your life with positivity and grace and love and yes. gratitude and forgiveness it's remarkable yes. i try hard it I puts everything hard. else in, into perspective the way it does it does everything is possible with god yeah. in your life <laughs> absolutely Sonia St. Clair, thank you so much for being on Passion Harvest. It's been insightful and delightful. Thank you very much. And continue thank to spread your, spread your beautiful message to the world. Thank you, Louisa. Thank okay. you so much. Thanks, and I wish everyone, <laughs> I wish everyone love, peace and healing. Everyone. Thanks very much. Bye for now. Bye for now. Bye. If you liked this episode, please do subscribe for weekly passionate inspirational interviews. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening and please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate.